it's 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 a journey. It's not a, a one day thing. It's something that just uh, we move forward little by little, and God leads us, and He's taking us some new places. And um, this morning is part of that journey. So I'm I don't know about you, but I'm expectant that what Earl's going to bring this morning is actually going to move us along in the journey. So I want to stir your heart and just begin to 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 stir up something and pull on the anointing this morning because uh, it's it's not just his anointing for him because every gift that God puts on the body is actually for the body. It's it's for you today. So whatever he's bringing is for you. It's for us. So begin to pull on it. Begin to just uh, just receive even before you know what it is. Can you do that? Let's do it together. Let's like, oh, God, we want you. <laughs> begin to pull on that anointing. <laughs> I about did something I don't want to do. So <laughs> I had, had flashbacks of a whole another day. But um, yeah, let's just pull on that together. Jesus, we invite you. We receive, we receive what you're bringing us today, God. We receive the breakthrough anointing this morning, God. Thank you for that. We receive your, your impartation, God, this morning that moves us along in the journey. Thank you, God. Uh, amen. Guys, welcome Pastor Earl. puppy and I'm definitely bleeding from all over the scratches and blood so you see the blood dripping on the rug Father we thank you for your presence we always enjoy living under an open heaven we really enjoy the affections of God you know um, you're healing your image in our life all the time you're healing your image about who you really are so that we can relate to you the way you have, you've always been we just didn't see it so, Father, we just we thank you, Lord, for specific things to be said today to speak into this vision, to empower, Lord, this people to access what you've already promised them because it's already a win every step of the way. So we love you. We worship you. We appreciate you. Spirit of the living God, just take these few moments and release something of, your, of heaven, something of your word, an impartation. I don't have any confidence in how I say things. I don't have any confidence in what happened last night. I don't have any confidence in what happened ever. I just have confidence that you love people so much that you're able to release something to bring change, transformation, more of you. Lord, more of a, a uniting of their hearts and your heart, more of a realization of your beauty, more of an understanding of your kindness more of a, a revelation of, of your power to fulfill every promise, Lord, of your commitment to each one of us in this room. You're just an amazing, amazing, amazing God. There's a reason why your name was called Wonderful, because you're full of wonder. And you're bringing us into a time of life where we're going to be awestruck, stunned by God. Lord, absolutely stunned by who you are and your commitment to us and what you're able to do when you're given the freedom to be God. So we love you. We worship you. We, we do welcome your presence. Your presence comes. Lord, you come upon people where they are. You do what you want to do. And bless, bless, bless this house. Bless this family. Bless this pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife wanted me to say that we were very thankful for Pastor John when he was in Honduras. 
I think I spoke to you guys once after I came back. Did I do that? I never talked to you guys. I never talked to you guys after Honduras. Never. Oh, that's amazing. Well, then I'll tell you what I was supposed to say if I did. And that is that um, he, he did a fabulous, my wife, my wife would say, make sure you tell him again. What an incredible job. My wife trusted him with the leadership of the prayer healing team when she got ill. So she was bed, in bed for five days. And uh, head of the prayer healing team, she was in bed for five days. Doesn't kind of fit, that fit. But, you know, the maids got saved and there were things that happened. All kinds of things took place. But your pastor did a fabulous job. So he was actually given the authority to oversee the prayer healing team in the medical clinic. And he had never done that before, but that's part of his destiny, do things that he's never done before. It's not, it's not like usually he's like signing up to do what he's never done before. It's like he didn't even know where to sign. But what happened is that God placed him and puts him in positions where he can't really help himself but step into what he's always been. So that's one of the things that's going to happen for you and, this, and, and your family and this church. You, 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 you inadvertently step into things and find out that that's what you could do all along. But you wouldn't have quite known that until you were put in the position. So my assignment with your pastor was very clear from the beginning. Get him out of the United States and get him into a nation. I did have a very clear assignment. Um, and uh, that happened. And when he was there, he was an incredible blessing to uh, even the medical team themselves was touched by his leadership um, of our prayer healing team. So um, my wife wanted to convey that. She was just was so excited that I was here today. She didn't know until I called her this morning. And so your pastor did an amazing job. So, and I want to share something uh, with your pastor about where you are on the journey and just share a few thoughts this morning. So if I can find it. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, so this is prophetic, 1 Samuel chapter 9, there came a moment when Saul came to Sam, uh, Samuel came to Saul, and um, it, it, was, it was a meeting that just happened one day, and then there was a moment in, in Saul's life, and he lost his father's jackasses, and he could not find his father's jackasses uh, all over Israel, which is pretty hard to do. It's pretty hard to do, that. that's a pretty big failure, I mean, you couldn't even find a few donkeys in the whole country. So obviously his skill set wasn't working too well. And his, his anointing it was not apparent yet. And a man that could not find three jackasses ended up becoming the king of a nation. Because the call on his life was to be the king of a nation. And the promise that God had for, and the calling God had for his life was to be the king of a nation. So really it was kind of irrelevant to God, his current situation of failing, not living up to some of his own expectations, not living up to his father's expectations. He didn't live up to his father's expectations. So if he's in a, the pastor's going to be in the bathroom, I probably have to wait for him because the word is to him. So... <laughs> So in, in, in the meantime, I'll just talk about Peru, and then when he comes out, I'll finish the word to him, because we don't want him to miss the word, because it's to him, and he's in the bathroom. I really love freedom in the body of Christ, that when we have to go, we have to go. And, um, and we don't, there are no bathrooms in heaven, but it doesn't work on earth as it's in heaven right now when it comes to uh, the, the bathroom. But as you know, like, I have a passion to uh, 
changed nations. My, my passion changed about 12, 13 years ago to actually believe for actual countries coming to Christ. And so not prophesying about it, not um, just, you know, really, really lifting up my eyes and, and, and what would it be like if an entire country would come to God? So not just a city, not just a family, not just a town, you know, not just your state, not just your denomination, you know, but an entire country. What would that look like? And so can a country be born in a day? Can a, can a country come forth in a moment? You know, can a nation actually be discipled? You know, would Jesus actually be able to have a country, an entire country, that would come under the principles of heaven? Just like Islam has five nations that follow the teachings of Muhammad, we don't have one nation in the world that follows the teachings of Jesus. But they have five nations that follow the teachings of Muhammad. But we don't have one nation that follows the teachings of Jesus. So I just thought there was something wrong with that picture. Okay? And so I'll finish this, and then I'll get back to your pastor. So... You know, we've been in a number of nations. Keith has been with us in one nation, and, and that's a journey, too. The journey of trying to actually cause an entire country to come to Christ is a journey. So we've already done three nations, and now we're doing the nation of Peru. So the difference about the nation of Peru is that it's a global movement now. So, you know, right now uh, my son and Dominic are flying to Cambodia, the largest church in Cambodia, the largest church in Colombia, the largest church in Malaysia the largest church in Guatemala, and some other countries, the largest churches in the country are calling up missions me and saying, what's going on in Peru? So in other words, global movements, YWAM, um, Jesus Culture, um, um, Messenger, John Bavilla, global movements, um, I just forget him now, I just flew in last night, um, <clears throat> are wanting to know how we can work together to actually bring a nation to the feet of Jesus. So, so you may, you know, we didn't start that way in the journey, and, and, but now the awareness has grown to the point because the way where God is in history right now is he wants nations. So God thinks big, and so, so, so that's what's happened. So my last trip, so what we did, my last trip, we, we went down there. We gathered all the leaders of there's 24 states, or 26 states in the country, just like we have 50 states. They call them departments. So what would it look like to gather all the main leaders and the largest churches and all the denominations of the entire country to come into one room to hear one vision about their country. So we actually actually had them coming from all over the country to meet in Lima uh, for three days. And so, you know, and basically share the vision of what would it be like to give your nation to God. Uh, I wish I had time today, which I don't, um, because the key that God gave me to unlock the nation was in the flag. The very, the very Peruvian flag actually is the prophetic destiny of the nation. And uh, so that was the key that God gave me when I went out into the country to articulate um, uh, giving Peru to God, who Peru is to God, or why Peru should be for God. How about doing this together? So we did. We spoke to all the national leaders. And then you usually have five uh, leaders in every department or every state, you know, like Colorado, New York, New Jersey, five, and then they begin to work in their states. My job is to go into all the departments and go to all the leaders and then the whole body of Christ in each state and then articulate the vision, you know, and I have a passion for nations, so it's a message for me. It's a lifestyle. And then what would it be like if we can do it and then have one language, one faith, one heart, one commitment, one fire inside of all of us to give their entire nation to God. And then in the midst of that, I get to be with all the leaders and their families. And then you can operate in the gifts and the power of God, touch their local ministries. And then we had meetings that 
that actually there were visitations of God in three cities. So actual visitations where you have a service in the morning, then you have another service, and the gods, I mean, one service was four hours when I had to leave. Everybody, because the presence of God had come to the whole place. So then these guys have a visitation of God, miracles break out, people were standing up, getting saved, just getting up, standing up, getting saved during the service. You know, just, just getting saved. I mean, like there was just a wind of God that blew, power of God came, bodies got healed. And I had one night, one service, I had a Mennonite interpreter in the Baptist church. A Mennonite interpreter in a Baptist church. And Mennonites don't usually believe some of the things you believe, and Baptists don't either sometimes. You know, I don't have any problem with that. I had a Mennonite translator, you know, I had a Baptist uh, pastor, and um, I just lined up all the pastors before you could leave the building. You never had to walk through the pastors to get out of the church. So I had all these guys praying for one another, praying for the other congregations, praying for stuff, and showing up before you know it, people are falling out, people are getting healed. They didn't believe in any of it, they saw all of it. The one sign that opened up one city, it's called Pure, is that we had a I always invite the pastors to come up forward. So basically, we saw th you're reaching thousands of people. You're seeing people saved all the time. But you're articulating the vision. You're bringing a unity together. We're doing this together. How can we bring a nation to God? So that's really what our assignment is. So the one, one service, there were pastors all lined up front. And always pray for the pastors and honor them and bless their local their churches. So I was over here, and I was praying for these pastors. I was pouring my heart into each pastor, blessing them, thanking them. All of a sudden, there was a guy, very elegantly dressed, very nicely dressed, and there was and the stage. The stage was concrete, so it was like concrete platform, and then one step, one step, pure concrete. And so this guy was standing here, face forward, like this. I hadn't even gotten to him, and I was just praying. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed the guy was going face forward. So it's kind of like so. I look, and I realized that the trajectory was face first, right in the pointed part of that concrete. So even for a moment, I freaked, and I went, because, and I just, I mean, I remember going, no. And otherwise, this is no way to bring unity in the country by having his pastor smash his face, and you're meeting against the concrete. So, and, and I should know better, because no one's going to fall face forward anywhere on their own. How much would you pay somebody just to fall face forward and not be doing anything, just go face forward? So, I mean, so this guy goes, God said he'd do, he'd do signs to make you wonder, right? What are signs for to make you wonder? So, so he knew exactly the way to get into this place and really break down things. I had no clue. And I saw the guy, and I tried to look, and I just, I couldn't look. I just went, and I should know better. I've seen it before. And I went, but what happened is when I did look quickly, I noticed when the guy was going forward, he stopped. He stopped. And, I'm, and I, I caught it, and it was like he was turned around, and his head was gently laid on the top of the first step of the concrete like it was a pillow. And I went, I went, like I said, I went, I saw it, but I wasn't the only one. The people screamed. The pastors said, did you see that? Did you see that? The guy was out, just laid out under the power of God with his head on the concrete thing, and it was a wonder, and it just turned. That became the open door to every other meeting I had in the entire city because they, I, we asked the guy to get up. I said, why don't you give your testimony? And he goes, and the guy was smiling. He goes, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm just happy. And, and uh, he's smiling at me because I, I, I'm just happy. And I went, and he's just, I guess he's not happy. Most pastors are not. But it's kind of like, he's just happy. And he was just smiling. He was just so filled with joy. He goes, I, I don't know what it is. And then the next night he was in the meeting, he came back. 
So he said, hey, come here, I want you to give your testimony. And uh, he got up, he got up again, he just smiled, he goes, and he tell you what happened. He said, all I know is I was, I don't know what happened, but God came on me, God came on me, that's good care of the devil, God came on me, and all of a sudden I felt like I was just turned, and next thing you know, I was just in the presence of God, and ever since that moment, I've just been happy. So other pastors will get up, we saw it. We saw it, which immediately quickened everybody in the place to believe that God would do something in their life. Hopefully, it wasn't going to look like that. I mean, you can't write a book on how to have God move in your city, go face forward, be turned in midair. Here's how you can do it five easy ways. You just can't do that. So you were talking about not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. And that is the way things happen. Anyway, uh, so um, I'm going to finish Peru, and then we'll get back to the pastor, because that's what we're here for. And... Um, so basically, you know, so that, that's what we're doing now. So basically, you're seeing a global united movement to raise 5,000 missionaries and 5,000 Peruvians to actually network together 32 million people to at least double the National Evangelical Church in one week from 5 million to 10 million. So that came out of their mouth. So you have all the other things we do, as you know, the business conferences, the political conferences, the pastors' conferences, the women's meetings, the, the water, the medical teams, and all of that. So there's three things that we do. One thing is I do. Like any money that comes in today is for two things. My trip to Peru, in 12 days I go again. I go all over the country. I just go by boat. One time, one time I want an eight-hour ride, bus ride. You know, so that's what you do when you're 68. You know, like take an eight-hour bus ride, you know, and, or take a plane, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. So I just go everywhere in the country, you know, bringing this message, uniting the Peruvians as Peru to give their nation to God so we all work together. And then while in the course of that, bring signs, wonders, and miracles, you see salvation and all of that. So I get a lot of fun in the eight months right up to the event. And so um, that's what I'll be doing. That's where this money goes today. All on a boat. I take a team up the Amazon River. I'll be, that's what I'll be doing next year. I take a team of 100 people up the Amazon River and with 100 Peruvians. So we get on a boat, we live on the boat, we go up the Amazon River. Then we park somewhere, obviously, and then we go into the jungles all day. All day long, we bring the gospel, heal the sick, do wonders, have a great time. It's fantastic. I mean, most of the life expectancy there is 43. I would have literally changed the life expectancy of every place I go to in the Amazon jungle. Absolutely. I don't care if they said it's 43. I want that life expectancy to change because we showed up in that village and in the Amazon jungle. You need to think like God thinks because God can only have a conversation based on what he sees. And he thinks big and he sees big and that's who he is. So I, that's one of my goals is to change the life expectancy in the Amazon jungle. So why not think small? Why, why, why think small? Huh? And so then we, get, we, do, then we uh, do a crusade from the boat. So I do the crusade from the boat every night to all the thousands of people that have come out of the jungles. And then we do a crusade, and all my people go out and heal the sick, and they go love everybody, and I stand on the boat, unless I give it to somebody else, and I'm out there. So we do that every day. Into the jungles, crusade at night, into the jungle, crusade at night, into the jungles, crusade at night, all week long. So how many thousands of people will be touched by God? So that's what I do. So I pay for the boat. So it's kind of like everybody gets goes for the ride, I pay for the boat. So that's, I don't do the crusade this year, the crusades are on the, on the Amazon. My wife is over the prayer healing teams for the nation, like she was over the one we have for the Desirable Nation. She's over all of them. So her job is to impart the understanding and the revelation of how the kingdom of God is here now so ordinary believers can do miracles, like he saw. Ordinary believers, from a child up, uh, can be, be on the team. So we have like seven to ten medical teams all over the nation, and Jana's got a prayer team for each one of those. 
And so they work with doctors and dentists. And the other thing we do is that people go to the schools, which Keith saw a few years ago, where you go in and all the schools have been open. So that's what's happening. So I go to Peru in a couple of weeks or less uh, and the Amazon next year. Okay, back to you. So that's kind of fun. So since you guys are part of that, I'll give you a little testimony of what's happening, you know. So anyway, there came a point when, when, Saul, when, when Samuel came to Saul and this is what he said. Remember, Saul said, I'm of the smallest tribe of Israel, and we're the least of all the class of the tribe of Benjamin. So you need to understand that those that are going to be used to change the world are going to always go through an identity crisis. Your identity crisis is going to be exactly what I just said. Why me? Who am I? So Saul began to give him the reasons why it couldn't be him. Now, God says there's going to be an epicenter. God says you want to see revival in this region. God says you're going to be a part of it. You've been prophesied over all these things. have been spoken to you in the church. You don't really see it. Like that can't even find your jackasses. Sometimes you're, you're, look, you're moving along. It doesn't look like it's going too well. And like, well, Saul's on his way to be used of God to change the whole country. And, he, and, and he's, he's saying, like, I don't think you get it. Um, uh, it's not working too well. I can't even find some dumb donkeys right now. And uh, you're telling me God's got a call in my life. Don't you realize the family I came from? Don't you know the history I am in? Don't you know what I've gone through in my life? Don't you know what I, I was just in my house in New York. I, by the time I could tell you stories, I can see the very development of what I would never was supposed to be by growing up where I grew up. It was amazing. It was really, I, I really enjoyed myself, you know, seeing what God has been able to do. I'm completely the opposite of my bloodline for hundreds of years, completely the opposite. And it's kind of like, how did that ever happen? Because there comes a day when God changes things, you, you know, there comes a day God changes things, you know, and, um, you know, so it doesn't matter really what you feel about yourself because it wouldn't be accurate anyway most of the time if it doesn't line up with God, you know, so it doesn't really matter. When you see yourself the way God sees you, you can become who you've always been. If God wants to have a conversation, he has a conversation with you based on what he sees, not what you're looking at. Because if you're not looking at yourself the way he looks at you, then basically God can't have a conversation with you because you guys are on two different wavelengths. You're on AM, he's on FM. And it's kind of like he's saying, you can change the world. You're a history maker. I've got a great future for you. We can do stuff together. It's unbelievable. If you call unto me, I'll show you things that are unreachable, unattainable, never happened. I, I can do this. And we're still living in, we're on AM. We're not tuned into where God is. So God's trying to convince us of who we are. So basically, you know, just for you guys, um, what happened? There came a point in verse, chapter 9, verse 25. Um, after they came down from the high place to the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. Where are you guys now? In other words, he moved, he had a conversation somewhere else, but then he moved the conversation to a house. They rose up at daybreak, Samuel called them on the roof. Get ready, I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready and he and Samuel went outside together as they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here for a while that I might give you a message from God. What happened? They were at a certain location. They came to a house. Came to the edge of a town. The edge of a town. The edge of a town. And then he said, tell everyone else to go on. Things, things are going to go on. I have a message for you. I have the message for you here. So the word of the Lord to you is very simple. Whatever matter what anyone says, 
you're right there at the house. Still haven't found your jackasses yet in some areas of identity, maybe ministry or fulfillment or dreams, maybe. Maybe you don't really know yet that you're actually called to the greatness you're really called to. Saul didn't. You don't either. Maybe you can, maybe there's reasons why it can't be you, and it could be me or someone else. Maybe, maybe, maybe whatever it is, everybody goes through those moments where you come to this place, this place, because God's got a message for you now. So he removed you from one familiarity, from something that was always familiar, and he put you in a house at the edge of a town to be able to speak to you here about what's going to be later, and it, that's why you're here. So, so that is, so I'm just encouraging you as a church to realize some people say, well, this is a setback or a step down. Well, every setup, every, every setback is a setup. And also, when it comes to people being with you in the vision and life, I learned something many, many years ago. I've learned it in ministry. I've learned it when I was a pastor. Those that are with you cannot leave you. Those that are not with you cannot stay. And I added the third thing to it. And those that don't know any better, just love them. They'll figure it out. Because you always go through situations where the people who have been with a vision, now all of a sudden they're not with a vision. The only thing that you need to know is whether you're with the vision. The only thing you, you need to know is what your father's vision is. That's it. You, God will never allow others to always see the vision or think you're doing it the right way for the vision. There will always be some of those that do that. It's not a problem. You love, you bless. The main thing is that you need to be married to the vision that you're about to get and the message that's already resonating inside of you that, 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 that's leading you to be a king, leading you to have authority. And it said that the, the way it was going to happen is there was a visitation of God. Spirit of God came on, Sam, on, on Saul and literally changed him into another man. So it's not by might, like your wife said, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. And God will change you into another person. He will do what needs to be done in the house. And this was not the message today. I didn't even get that and, um, until I sat there and I realized that I had a word, that, that I had a word for you. you know? So hopefully that encourages you as a church and encourages you as a leader to realize you're in the right place at the right time, and there's a message coming that will help you navigate into your tomorrows the way God wants. Do not look around for the amen. Do not look around. Uh, you, you, they, to do some things in God, a lot of things scatter. Uh, people do strange things. Um, people who are right there, they're not right there. Uh, they promise this, they don't. They're in for life, they're all in, they're not. Things happen. You don't worry about that because we should have never been building our life upon the, on being dependent on human beings anyway. And God allows it. And, um, and now I just want to, one thing I just want to share with you real quick, even though you said 11.45, you got to give me a few minutes. You put me on at eight minutes after 11 and you went to the bathroom. So we'll, maybe we'll vote for a few extra minutes. I came thousands of miles for doing this. I'm fighting for a few minutes. I mean, this is a house church. And um, the Seahawks are not starting at 12.05. They can't, you know, whatever. But um, Isaiah 54, verse 10, it talks about the enlarging the place of your tent. Go look it up. That's a word for you. That God's about to enlarge the, the place of your tent. He's about to enlarge your capacity, enlarge your, uh, your, your capabilities are now going to have a commensurate capacity to be able to do some things broader and bigger than what you're doing now. You're going to be enlarged. You're going to spread forth. I just, I just can't spend too much time in that. I missed a meeting, but that's a word for you today, Isaiah 54, ju just for you. I want to talk to you today about the gift that you can give back to God.
which applies to all of us. The greatest gift that you can give back to God is trust. I learned a lot of things when I stood in, 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 in the very living room where I was rejected, you know, when I was nine years old. I, it was amazing. I stood right on the spot, remember the moment, remember the words, remember what I went through as a, as a nine-year-old boy and what happened. And I, and I, and I traced my life. Now, I've, I've been delivered of all this stuff, but I traced my life um, from that moment all the way to the day today, and why I would react against certain things, or even struggle at times to trust God. Because when you in any way in life, in any way have, have been wounded or let down in huge ways by people or parents or in situations, it actually affects your ability to trust God. And I found myself I'd be a little bit more sensitive than normal, even though I'm a great man of faith. I mean, I'm known for that. Um, yet I struggled sometimes, but it really didn't come down to faith. It came down to the fact that um, was God really there for me because so many were not. So when someone was not, it hurt me more than normal because of what I went through in my life. I told that story actually last night when I spoke, and I don't think there was a dry eye in the room because somebody went through that. I wish I could do it today. Sometimes it's better in ministry and in life to be real. And, it's, and I've always tried to be a real minister, you know, a real person, walk through real journeys, share real struggles. Um, sometimes it's got me in trouble because I'm more vulnerable as a, as a minister than others. But I, you know, I, 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 I assume that people would enjoy that and not be just some pompous reverend, you know what I mean? And so but sometimes it, it, it's not wise, and, uh, but that's, that's okay. I, I wouldn't regret it. I like being real. Because, you know, you don't get from here to here or go through life without going through the same situations everybody else does. We always want to read the last chapter of the book when you're out there doing crusades, doing the stuff I just did in Peru. Oh, wow. But, but what about the other chapters before, you know, when you, didn't, when you were struggling, you didn't know all of this stuff? I mean, like, to me, that's what I re real fellowship is. That's why most pastors and leaders have a hard time in relationship because they can never be real. They can never, they can never have a bad day. They can never be weak in their faith. But God's really big about Abraham trying to sell his wife and to, to, to be with somebody else. And Sarah's unbelief almost the entire time. You know, God was not bothered by talking about certain struggles his people had. But where do they end up is what he talks about today. Okay? So anyway, so one of the greatest gifts that we can really give to God is trust. And, you know, um, it's not obedience. It's not prayer. It's not fasting. The greatest gift that you can give to God is to actually believe he is who he is. And, you know, I wanted him to find a song. It's called His Eyes on the Sparrow. There used to be a song many, many years ago that used to be sang at the Billy Graham Crusades by Mahalia Jackson. And uh, she used to sing that song at Billy Graham Crusades. It said, His Eyes on the Sparrow, He's Watching Over Me. And that is why I'm happy and that's why I'm free. Because His Eyes on the Sparrow, because I know He's Watching Over Me. The greatest spirituality that you can ever attain in life is to believe that he really is. That he really is watching over you. When it looks like it doesn't look that way, when it doesn't feel that way, when in the hallway of your mind, the thoughts are everything to the contrary and the feelings are, and those thoughts go into your brain and create that world for you. But to have the actual, for your default to be, he's watching over me. For the default of our relationship with God to be when something hits, He's watching over me. When something goes wrong and it was not planned, you go, he's a miracle worker. He's watching over me. 
when this thing happens with your child, happens with your fiance, your husband, your wife, um, happens in ministry, happens financially, happens in life, that your default is immediately, oh well, I was telling somebody yesterday, I kind of lost 50 grand in support from two families this year out of nowhere, no one told me why. $50,000 of support, that's a lot of money. Is it? And I remember my reaction then was not, oh, he's watching over me. It's fine. He'll find another way. He'll find another way. I'm being honest. It was, it was like, well, yeah, I was good. No God, the same God that did this would do this again. But inside, I was back again feeling like fear. You ever feel it? Fear. How's this going to happen? How am I going to do this? It's one thing for God to say, take a boat up a river. You know, another thing, God say, do this. And God, and I used to tell God, what are you doing? I mean, I mean, like, I mean, I'm a mathematician. I'm a brilliant man. Then math does not add up. There's no math to add. What are you doing asking me to do all these things? See, what he was doing was trying to get me to the Red Sea so that he can show himself mighty and strong to create a default in the children of Israel that he's a God of wonders and a God of miracles and a good God. Did you ever notice that they sang on the other side of the Red Sea, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea? And I realized that real faith is when I can sing on this side of the Red Sea, the horse and the rider be thrown into the sea. See, didn't God, didn't Moses say, oh, by the way, you're not going to see the Egyptians anymore in your life today. That was standing in front of a sea. I mean, I mean, I mean let's get real here. No sea has ever opened in the history of the world. And the promised land's over there, and they're standing in front of a sea, and the word gets out that the guys that they're escaping from are coming down after them. So how's that going to work? And I used to wonder about that. Here's, God didn't give him another plan. See, sometimes God will allow you to be in a position where the only plan is God. And the only plan is a miracle. And he's trying to get Pastor John, Pastor Earl, Keith, Emily, everybody in this room is trying to get us to a place where our default is, uh, this wasn't part of the way I thought it would be like this, and then this happened, meaning that then that won't, and God's trying to say, what are you talking about? No, I have not changed. Why did you? I have not changed. So in other words, like, I can still do it. But when you got to figure it out, like by noon tomorrow, well, you got to do certain things, and you're getting on the plane and all of that, and people get weird, and all of a sudden like that, and you, and you, don't, you, you freak. Then you got to remember, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And you try to quote it. You're like, I say it 50 times. God has not given me a spirit of fear. No, I don't have a spirit of fear. But I have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. No, you don't. I have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. No, you don't. I have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. No, you don't. Look at the way you're feeling. I am afraid. You know, you know, we go through these things in life, and then we try to claim these things. I have a spirit of fear. Spirit of, no, I have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. The word spirit means mindset, disposition to think. God said, I've not given you the disposition to think. Fear, full, worry, anxiety. I've not given that to you. When a baby's born, like we have, I have a new grandson, I'm teaching my daughter and um, the father the, the way to do kids. So I pick up the grand boy. His name is Carmana Thomas. That's my middle name, too. The kid's everywhere. And, I'm kind of, I, took, and I, I tell, like, David, watch me. Koamana, you're beautiful. You're amazing. You're a history maker. You're a world changer. You are unique. There's no one like you. You're priceless. You're rare. You have so much value. You are so amazing. What an incredible kid. I delight in you. I love you. You are amazing. I just bombard this little baby with what? Thoughts that go into their mind, that will go into their, go into their brain. 
go in their brain and make them believe the truth. What am I doing? So what am I doing? I'm affirming that child from the depth, teaching the father, this is the way you talk to this boy, because it's the father's role to talk to people that way. If the father does not talk to people that way, that's not God the father. So at some point, we've got to move to the way God feels about us and not what human beings feel about us and not find our identity in that. Easily said, not easily, easily done, but we have to get there. And we have to get to a point where we're going like, you know, I mean, I mean God does say, are you, are you better than a bird? I remember years ago, I read that, I go like, am I better than a bird? Am I more glorious than a lily? You're worried about your calling. You're worried about provision. We're worried about this stuff. I live needing 75% above what I have every month. And I'm, I, I should be thankful because my wife, I told stories last night, they were hilarious, how my wife, I say, Jenna, we need, we, need, we need six grand by Friday. She goes, really? What day is it? I'm like, you don't know what day it is? It's Tuesday afternoon. Oh, okay, that's awesome. What do you mean that's awesome? What do you mean that's awesome? We got to Friday. I'm trying to tell him I'm freaking out. I need to be comforted. Hug me, kiss me, prophesy, do something, will you? I'm a nervous wreck. I don't know how I'm going to get the money. You know, and it's like she goes, and I would say, like, Jan, I mean, it's not so easy. He goes, Earl, oh, here it comes. Earl, someday. At noon on Thursday, God's going to ask you for a million dollars by noon on Friday. And I go, you know what? Here I am trying to believe for this. And then you come up with this million-dollar thing in 24 hours as if that really encourages me. <laughs> I'm not encouraging Janet, you're not encouraging me, and you're supposed to be an encouragement to me. But she was the greatest encouragement I could ever have. She was telling you, how big is your daddy? How big is your God? How big is your daddy? How big is your God? How big is your, well, how big is he? Are you better than a bird? Yeah, or are we worried that we're not like, then we're not better than birds? That's not good. Are we better than a bird? Are we more glorious than a lily? Is God going to fulfill the vision and dream that he gave? See, Moses told the people, he said, hey, relax, relax. There's a river, in a sea in front of you, and behind you, the Egyptians are coming down to kill you, and there's no other way to go. See, we dread coming into those situations because then we're going to have to, then there's no, nothing we can do but a miracle. Does, will God, does God love us enough to fulfill the promise he gave us when all of a sudden now we have a Red Sea, or now we have a disappointment, or now we have a failure, or we've made a mistake, or we've been let down, or it didn't work out? Or maybe we just didn't know what we were doing. And, you know, and all of a sudden, God still gave the promise. Is the promise still good today? He said, look, you're not going to see the Egyptians anymore, ever, ever. And all you hear is Egyptians, and all you see is a sea. That was before anything happened. So Moses gave the promise, right? Moses gave the promise. What was the promise? You will never see the Egyptians anymore after today. He just didn't tell you how they were not going to see the Egyptians anymore. And you would have never imagined that the, the waters would roll back because it never happened before. You would never imagine that. And you would never imagine that they would then chase you through the very miracle that you got, and then you're turning around and going like, I thought you said we'd never see them anymore. They're right there. I mean, Moses, they're right there. I mean, you, know, you set it up. We're going to get killed on dry ground, you know, right now. And then the waters swallow them up. And then they sing, oh, the horse and the rider you've thrown into the sea. And what I realized, especially when I was in New York, and I was thinking is that what would it be like 
I told my wife, but it won't be like we start getting happy now. If we start singing the horse and rider are thrown in the sea now. What are we like we start saying the boat's already paid for, the money that I'm taking care of, this person and that person and this thing. What do we start shouting and jumping up and down like it's already done now before anything happens? What do we do when we feel the hoofbeats coming down? Are we going to be broken from our position or are we going to really stand there in faith and say, God, you're watching over me. I'm better than a bird. I am more glorious than a lily. You're going to fulfill it. I just don't know how. See, the problem is if we don't know how, we think God won't do it sometimes because we don't know how. But we don't need to know H-O-W. We need to know W-H-O. Just change the letter a little bit. So what is God trying to get us to? Are you better than a bird? Are, are you more glorious than a lily? Am I, am I watching over you? When it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, it talks, because you're going to have to come to one thing in life, trust. You're going to have to trust him with those areas in your own personality, those areas in your own character, those areas in your own marriage, your own family, those areas in your own business, those areas in your own calling, those areas in your own destiny. You can, at some point, there's going to be areas that you look at your life where you're going to have to look at that area of your life and you're going to say, you know what, I trust you. I, believe, I actually believe that you're going to do whatever it takes. You're going to win because you gave me a promise that it wouldn't be this way. What would it be like if when we have one thing happen, we actually turned that around and said, I'll even believe for more than I've ever believed in life. You know what I really think God is saying to people now? Why don't you believe for more than you've ever believed before in the most difficult areas that you've ever... I mean, the Red Sea's pretty tough. So it's kind of like some of you might have Red Seas in your life. Some of you might have situations that have not been resolved. Some of you have needs that have not been met. Some of you had promises that have not been kept. Some of you have certain dreams you've not been able to walk into. Prophecies that are 20 years in the waiting. You say, okay, so what do you do, what do, you do about that? I say, dream bigger. I say even think bigger. I say start telling God and minister faith to God. How about ministering faith to God? Actually telling God how amazing he is. Telling God how wonderful he is. Telling God what he did. I mean, I was remembering um, certain things. Uh, and why do you think Jesus got upset at the disciples and the boat? Why? Because he said, your hearts got hot. Why did their hearts get hot? They forgot a miracle. So why don't we develop a culture with one another of what God has done, build a testimony as a church of what he has done, the things that he has done, the things that he's done in people, and use that as the platform for the next testimony, for the next breakthrough, for the next. It's not denying the difficulty. It's not denying the problem. It's simply saying it's superimposing God's faithfulness in the areas of our life where we have had that happen. Does that make sense? It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, it said the people that were promised things didn't get them. You know why they didn't get them? Because it was not mixed with faith. So every, and overseas, you've got to do a lot of emergency C, and you need, uh, what do you call it, with the stuff, you know, vitamin C and stuff. So what do you do? You have a packet, and then you have a glass of water, usually from a bottle. And you pour the packet in there, and what do you do? If you let it sit there, it doesn't work. You have to mix it. That's what the word means. It said, because the word or the promise that was given to you, you did not pour in the emergency seat, but you didn't stir it until it dissolved, until it was one drink, until the promise and your faith were one. So sometimes we start to believe a promise. We need another word. We hear it. But the thing is, we have to take active ownership and mix it. Mix it. Mix it. So people keep wanting another word. I mean, you haven't even mixed the first one yet with your faith. Mix the second one with your faith. Pick the words you want to believe. Find out you believe it and start mixing it and minister to it to God. 
minister to it to God, develop a culture in your family, like my wife and I developing a culture in our marriage and how we speak the language in our home, what we do, what we don't do, how do we move on negativity, what do we do when facing giants, mountains, all this stuff, what do we do? So then what you want to do is build around you. So what I do in Peru, I literally come into every situation which is completely impossible, never been done before, uh, and I went to church after church that never had a visitation before, never saw what they were about to see, never even knew that it existed, because I believed. My wife used to tell me, he goes, you can go anywhere in the world, where they drop you, you've got total faith that God's going to show up anywhere in the world. Like I do. Why? It's been so mixed in me that it's kind of like it's one. Well, how about that financially? How about that spiritually? How about that in your relationship, your job, your career, your calling? Mix it. You find the words that God has spoken to you. You write them down. You, you, and that's it. When, like when Bill Johnson was ill, I heard that he, he only wanted people to read to him the, from the index cards of promises. That's it. Why? Because he didn't have any other identity outside of promises. What would it be like if you had no other identity except what God promised? What would you do, though? I mean, realistically, not verbally, not mentally, but from the heart, really believe that it's who you are. The Bible says in Galatians that Abraham, they were shut up to faith. Shut up. That means if, uh, if that room, if that, let's make the bathroom, the faith room. And you walked in the bathroom and you shut the door and you never walked into any room in the house. You stayed in one room called faith. You didn't go in the other room, any other room in your life but faith. You only lived, you were shut up to only one thing, faith. You only thought one thing, faith. Only one thing, testimony. Only one thing, trust. Only one thing, what he's done. Only one thing, what he hasn't done that he will do because he said he would do it. What would a relationship with a believer look like with God when you live that way? Because that's the only thing that makes God happy. Because if you can't trust a person, why are you obeying him? Obeying him to do what? He's asking perfection. He's asking for trust. That's why it says without faith, it is impossible, it is impossible to please God. Did it ever say without worship it's impossible? Did it ever say without love it's impossible? Did it ever use something else mixed with another word to say without this one thing, it is completely impossible? You can do all the rest, but if you don't do this one thing, it's not possible to please him. So you go like, oh my God, I feel convicted. You don't feel convicted because God's sweet. That's one of his promises. Get over it. I love you. Just stop believing. I'm good. We'll start from here. He forgets all the rest, and we start afresh, and he does more. So that means without trust, trust in the person of God and who he says he is, any area that's not in trust is under the power of a lie about the very image of God. See, what is he really after? He's after a relationship with Earl and God, you and God. He's after a relationship with each other so that you trust this person. If John, I know Keith, that's Keith and I have had some lunches. I'm not trying to get another one because he's busy today. But it's kind of like, <laughs> but Keith would say, Earl, he's, he's, he's a businessman. Earl, I meet you at 115 uh, at this uh, restaurant. You know, I have no doubt that he's going to be there. He'd have to be like hit by a semi. He'd at least text me. I'm a little late. You know, he's, I just, I have confidence that when he said to me, I'm going to be there, that he would be there. Something really weird would have to happen. I wouldn't be totally surprised. Because why? I have trust. Well, when God says something, and we can't even see him, and we get a promise from him, and, and will he show up? Will he be there? Will he be in my tomorrow? Will he take care of my destiny? Will he do this for my kid? Will he keep this promise?
We're not living in the realm of trust. And therefore, we can move today, move today, move today into a deeper realm of simple trust. And everything God has said to you, you mix every prophecy God's given you with your own faith until, it, until you become one with it. So then also, you know, I won't, actually I'm doing really good. I'll probably knock off a couple minutes. That's, preachers usually say that takes a couple of hours. But in Luke 18, it talks about Jesus. When Jesus comes back, will he find faith in the earth? That was on the, the heels of the passage of the person knocking on the door of the unjust judge. Luke 18, 1 to 8. So this person banging away, and, and, and so Jesus saying, won't I, won't, you have, won't God intervene on your behalf if an unjust judge is not going to let go and, 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 and get, he's not going to, if he's going to reply to this woman because she won't give up, but then he goes crazily said, will God find faith in the earth when he comes? Will Jesus find faith? And you know, we always think about that. Where, where do those two passages work together? What is a passage about banging on the door for your promises? Keep on, never quit, never quit, never quit. He commended that, but then he said, will the Son of Man find faith? See, one, one meaning of that is simply this. Of course, you will be avenged. Settle it. Of course, the righteous judge will act on your behalf. Of course, judgment against evil will take Of course, the miracles will take place. Of course, he will open the door for you. Of course, you're going to find. Of course, you're going to win because you've already won. Of course, that God can get beauty for ashes. Of course, this miracle can take place suddenly. Of course, just like with Saul, God can come on you, everything changes. And you start living by default. Well, of course. So you're not like wishing and hoping and banging and begging in life. If you're going to bang, it's only because you're going to get out of bed. You know, if you want to stay there all night, it's your business. But, you know, i got to get on my life. You will come down. I need something. You, you, of course. In other words, Jesus was saying, am I going to find? So what is the thing, the commodity that God is looking for in our lives? Childlike trust. Faith. So you look at every disease, every situation, every tragedy, every this, all of that through the eyes of God. So what does it do? It brings you to a relationship with God, which is why some people who've been in your life for many years disappeared. You didn't know that. That, was, that wasn't like God said, guys, when you disappear, i got to talk to John. It's because God's trying to get you all alone, and you've been set up. Unknown to you, you were set up from that building to here. Actually, to, to name the church Thrive, and my, I don't know if it's really thriving yet. It's, everything is faith. Abraham, your name is changed before you get one kid. Father of many, you don't got one. Don't you get it? Everything in life is committed to the simplicity of God saying, this is my intentionality for you. Will you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you believe? And you don't know how. And that's what kills us. Because, like, we want to know how. We want to figure it out. But then why do you have that scripture? Not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, saith the Lord. Well, why do you have that scripture? What's, why, what is she giving that scripture for? If it is by your might, if it is by your power. 
One of the things I always used to get me, say, God, I mean, you want to provide. I mean, God's got to provide so much bigger than any human being. But I would say, but Jesus had people provide. How does this work with people if it's God? How does this work? It's got to start always with God so you, you can tell when you, if you, you lack faith, if you get upset at people or you're looking to them, they didn't come through and you're not even bothered because it's still God anyway, right? God has another way or God will do this. He's trying to see if I will let him be the dad I never had. Okay? If I will let him be the friend I never had at that level, I, I would let him be the one who's, who paid the price to give me himself. You know what I mean? So what's really going to happen in these days up ahead without scaring you is that you're going to be rocked. Yeah, things are going to be shaken. You know, your plans are going to get a little obliterated. Things will happen. In the, I'm not prophesying negative. I'm just saying, guess what's going to happen in the last days? If you want to believe in the last days, well, guess what happens in the last days? Things happen, but the one thing that's constant is the goodness of God. The one thing that's constant is the beauty of God. The one thing that's constant is the faithfulness of God. So it comes a point where Sarah began to believe he was faithful, and that's what changed her. The woman didn't believe all along. She was doubting when the angel came. You're going to have a baby. Ha, <laughs> ha, I heard you laugh, and you were mocking. No, no, no way. I didn't, I would never do that. Of course, she didn't. She did not believe that she would have the promise fulfilled. That's the truth. What was God's response? You don't believe. Thanks a lot for your confidence and your mighty God. You're going to learn some things, woman. Now, what, now what did God do? God, what was God's response to Sarah's unbelief? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? What did he do? He empowered her to believe. He didn't say, you don't believe. She already proved it. He says, but he said, but just to nudge you a little bit, is there anything too hard for me? You can have a baby at 90, why not? You don't even ever did it, but is it too hard? What is the area that's too hard for you is the area where the enemy will make you worry, anxiety, unbelief, and stress. There's, everybody's got areas that are too hard for them in the natural. Those are the areas God wants to say to you today, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? He didn't say, anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord in the vision that God's given you guys? Is there anything too hard for the Lord and what God has promised you? I mean, like, I mean, I'm with people who don't have babies. You know, you pray for them, they have babies, stuff. But you have to look at them. Is there anything too hard for, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Yeah, but in my background, we had this. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Well, I went through this. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Well, I'm getting older now. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? But I'm older now. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Are you going to try to tell me your age is, is bigger than me? Well, no, just be reasonable. I am reasonable. There's nothing bigger than me. I'm being very reasonable. Don't let your age, don't let your history, don't let your past, don't let your present. Don't let what people have said or not said or anyone's done. Did I give you the promise, Moses? Tell the people. You won't see the Egyptians anymore. I'm sure he looked back and saw Egyptians. God just had another way of getting rid of them. Rid of them. Drowned them for the first time in history. Drowned the entire Egyptian army. That never happened before. Everything that's about to happen for almost everybody in this room has never happened before. So why do you think it's going to be look like something that's happened before? It never did happen before. Your before has nothing to do with your now because it's never happened before. You are in the before the thing happening. Don't say it's never happened before. It, what happened, it will never happen. It's, it's going to happen in my life. It's the way it's going to be. See, you're being trained. You're renewing your mind so you can actually line up with the way God thinks so you access the miraculous. You know, I could do this by story after story after story, but I'm done. And the thing is, is um, 
And just one last thing. You know why Abraham was the friend of God? You want to be the friend of God? Anybody want to be the friend of God? You know, is there a way of knowing you're the friend of God? I mean, obviously, if you would like a transmission fix, you'd like to know who knows how to do transmission. So God would really know what friendship looks like, right? So how do you be the friend of God? Do you want to be the friend of God? A friend. Well, God said, Earl is a friend of, uh, he's, he's my friend. She's my friend. What is it? Who was called the friend of God? Abraham. Why? There came a day in Genesis 22:5 where Abraham had a boy, which was the promise. Right? And he told the servant, you stay here. Me and the boy are going to go over there and we're going to worship. Meaning that was the first time the word worship was ever used in the Bible. Meaning that worship, true worship, is denied to anything but God alone. Any idolatry is worship. Nothing comes before God. That's worship. So you can worship all you want, not be worshiping, because still you're living for yourself. True worship is that God is the worthwhile one. He's the worthy one, and I'm surrendered. You're my Lord. That's worship, according to the Bible. But he said, we're going to go wander and worship, go yonder worship, and guess what? We'll be back. Now, if you're going to go and kill your kid, kill your kid, time the whole thing, time up, get a knife, and you're like this, and you've already told them, we're coming back. What did they say about Abraham? He was a man of faith. What was he believing? That boy, one way or another, this promise will be fulfilled in my life. So you come to points in your life, listen to this, you come to points in your life, you want to do anything great for God, we literally... Your promise dies right in front of your eyes. It doesn't really look like it. It's going to happen the way you really thought. Or there's always a question, will it happen? Abraham had to overcome that and say, I don't know how this is going to happen, but that boy is the promise. I guess God will raise him from the dead. And how many people have been raised from the dead then? So it says in the New Testament that God was going to raise, raise the boy from the dead. He believed that. That's why he was a friend. Because he said, if anyone trusted, it was him. That's why he's called the father of the faith. Because he trusted God. He said, what I'm doing now doesn't look like the way I was thought it would go. But you gave me a promise. And this is the step. I'll do it. And if I kill the kid, obviously going to raise him from the dead. That's just the way it's going to be. But no one had been raised from the dead. No one had ever been raised from the dead. And you're killing a promise himself. We don't have to kill it. Other people used to come along to kill it. But it's kind of like, I'm just saying, any way you want to do it. Oh, we make decisions in our life where we put the knife to our promise. We do stupid things. The reality is simply this. There comes a place where God is, because this is what I've learned, and I'm learning, because of Jesus Christ, God himself will figure out a way to fulfill a promise if I continue to believe. And he'll, and he'll do whatever he has to do in me, whatever he has to do around me, do whatever he has to do in people. What I'm doing right now in Peru was promised me like 25 years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a promise. But, and I, 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 that would never have been the way I would have thought the promise came in. I did something seven years ago that led to what I'm doing today, which looked like I killed my own ministry and my own thing to go do something else, and it started with my own son. God made me do something for my own son, to serve my own son, and to do that would have, would have actually caused me not to 
be doing the things I do, and it ended up me doing all the things I really wanted to do, which I do now, and I'm given a platform by another ministry to be who I always wanted to be and do it all over. I'm the only guy doing this. You got all over the country, everywhere, to everywhere, and, it, and, and I'm immediately given favor. You're immediately giving promotion. You're just immediately given. I didn't do anything for it. I, 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 don't, I never deserved it. I don't have anything for it. But the reality is God brought it. But I look, I went this way, ended up this way. You were in a building, and you had to get out of that thing. You were in a building, and you came here. It doesn't really look like the way to thrive and to grow. It doesn't, doesn't look like by the seeing of the eye, this is the way maybe things would be. But like I said, you're in the right place. You're in the house at the edge of town, and the promises that God has given you are so yea and amen. All that needs to happen in this fellowship is find a group of people. Does that mean he needs to change? Does that mean I need to change? So, I mean, I need to learn some things. I need to figure out things I don't know. I need to get healed of some things that maybe keep me from destiny. Maybe he needs some shifts. Maybe I need some shifts. But the promise was given when there was no shifts. You see? So the thing is, believe the man, or you believe the promise, or you believe what God has said to the house, and you develop a culture that way, then God can convict. God can change this. God can do that. He can do whatever he wants. But you don't give up the promise because of the seeing of your eyes, because you never got the promise by the seeing of your eyes. He got the promise by the seeing of God's eyes. God was looking at something, and God told you what he was looking at. And he said, would you look at this with me? Look at this with me. I'm looking at it. Do you see what I see? Do you see this? I see certain things right now that God had me look at. So that's what I'm looking at, and that's the only truth. And I don't care how many things stand in the way of it, how many times it has never been done in history. It will happen on my watch. It will be done in history, and I will win. That's just the bottom line. Because I'm looking at what God is looking at, and I'm not being slapped. You know why Jesus, you know why Peter felt, slipped in the water? I'm done, Lester. You know why Peter slipped and fell in the waves? Why? People said, well, because of his unbelief. No. He lost his focus. You know, his eyes were on Jesus and not on the 11, not on the waves. But he was saying, Jesus said, come into the impossible. I love this. How do you, because this is such a, this is a now word all over the world. Intimacy with God is childlike trust in what God said. When the waves, when the storms, when it's four in the morning, when no one's done it, God calls people into the impossible. That's intimacy with him. So Peter said it, only said one word. You only got one prophetic word. He said, if it's really you, tell me to come where you are. Where was he? Standing on the water at four in the morning. Standing on waves. And you know what the Greek word means? It wasn't like he was standing going, I'm the son of God, standing on the water. Pretty cool, huh? Well, he wasn't doing that. The word in the Greek is he was walking all over the water. So Jesus was walking all over the waves. He's that's, look it up. It means to walk. He wasn't standing there. And she, oh, I'm going to come where you are. He said, this is the word of the Lord for you, too. And for me, I love it. Jesus was walking on top of the waves. It wasn't just one wave walk, one, dip, one thing to believe for, many things to believe for. So you're going to be so stretched because your belief system is still too narrow. So God's going to like, you're going to start seeing a Jesus. You're trying to figure out how this one works, and Jesus will jump over there. And you got to keep your eyes on him over there. You go, what are you doing over there? Let me figure this one out first. Let me figure out how to buy the building. Let me figure out how to do this. He goes, no, I'm going to figure out how you can do a nation. Wait, 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 wait. We don't do nation. We got this much in the bank account. I'm trying to figure out and believe we, the church is shrinking, God. We don't have as many people here right now. The money's not coming in right now. So this is going on. Whereas, I mean, like, I mean, I'm, I mean, you're trying to tell me I'm going to do this. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm over here. 
You just stand still, will you? I'm trying to believe you for what I'm believing for right now in my life. Just stand still. Let me figure this out. I process. I'm a processor. I need to process. Let me think it. Let me think this thing through. You gave me a mind. I'm, I'm thinking. And he's over there. Sit, stand still. It's hot enough. It's hot enough. It's four in the morning. No coffee. You made me row all night. You didn't even start this at 11. It's been dark for hours. We could have solved this a long time ago. Stand still. And God says, he just walked over here. Now, I want you to believe me for this. I, I'm trying to believe you for that. What I'm trying to believe you for, I want you to go believe it. But I'm, 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 I've already got enough on my plate. I have enough on my plate. Really? I, don't, I never called you to a life of one plate. I called you to many plates, big table, fork, spoons, the whole bit, and expensive chinaware. I, got, you don't, you don't have, I have many plates on your table, not just stuff on your plate. I don't want that life. You better choose it because that's the only life God wants you to have. And then the reason why people don't live this life or want this life is because you end up having to believe in God. Your self-strength is broken. Your pride gets broken. You get judged. You get criticized. You get ridiculed. You go through it. You blubber the lips like David did sometimes in Psalms. You go through stuff. People say, yeah, oh, look at you, you know. They're not doing it. Go ahead. You go ahead and, you go ahead and do it. We trust you. Remember one time I wanted to raise somebody from the dead. And they said, in Maui, and they said, there's some Maui, Maui people. Hey Amen. Come on, come on. Maui no ke. Maui no ke. Come on, some Maui people. They, never mind. It's a story. And I'm in this hospital. This person died. And I, and I, I, I said, well, you praise for the person? I said, sure. They go, what are you going to do? Pastor, are you going to comfort the family? I go, huh? They're going to comfort the family? I go, no. But while you're here in the hospital, well, somebody told me this person died. There's a friend of this person, so I'm in the hospital. So you're going to comfort the family? No, I'm going I'm to try to raise a person from the dead. They look at me and go like, well, why would you do that for? <laughs> because the person's dead, as far as I know. And Jesus said, pray for the, raise the dead. So I'm never going to know if he's to be raised if I don't pray for him. So Jesus never said comfort the family. Why do you have to have a plan B? Jesus said raise the dead. So they're looking at me like this. Go ahead, Pastor. They were all backing off, praying in tongues, sending me in there on the power of God. But they wouldn't walk in the room with me. Now, in that particular situation, that person had come back to life once. I think that's when they got person got saved. In that particular situation, the person was dead. I was shocked the person didn't get up. I was totally shocked. I knew my mind had been renewed. I was actually shocked that he did not come back to life. I go, boy, I've really changed since I started praying for this dead thing. In other words, what are you expecting? What are you limiting God in your life? What, what can he not do for you, in you, through you? So I just came to encourage your faith and encourage the simplicity of trust him. And don't ever write off the miracle that you thought he couldn't do because he, you never know he'll do it quicker than you think. Does that make any sense today? Yeah. It's pretty good with jet lag and the whole bit. Too many Italian meatballs. You got that song? We're going to stand up. We're going to pray. But right after that, I think Pastor takes us out for a steak. Or I think he's somewhere. I think he's got tickets to the game. We're going to be flying down. I think we're in the plane. I love this church. Very generous church. Praise God. Anyway, we're just going to pray. And you know, like his eyes on. I've never heard this this person, but it's like I just want you to think about these lyrics and this song because I let God touch you today. And I'm going to walk around the room, pray for you, and everything. But I want you to realize that God loves you so much. His eye is on your life. Holy Spirit, just touch us as we, as we close today and begin today. You're amazing.
discouraged why should the shadows come why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he, his eye is on And I know he watches over me. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches. And I know he watches me, he watches me, his eye is on the spiral, and I know he watches. 